where the miracle of pregnancy meets the reality of your changing body, where taking care of our kids meets taking care of ourselves, and where the daily frustrations of feeding a family meet establishing lifelong healthy habits. This is The Messy Intersection. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Messy Intersection. My name is Diana and I'm a registered dietitian with a passion for helping families eat well and stress less about food. I'm also a mom, of course, I have two little girls, and I'm so glad you've decided to join me for my second full episode of the show. Today, we're diving into a really interesting and important topic. We're going to be hearing the personal story of a fellow mom, just like we did in last week's episode with Alex. And yet again, we are going to be hearing about the shame that is so often associated with child feeding. We won't always be talking about shame here, but it will come up a lot because of how strongly I believe that it just has no place in child feeding or really even parenting in general. But today's topic, which is food shaming at the pediatrician's office, also gives me an opportunity to introduce another theme that we're going to be talking about quite often on the show. My guest Amber and I are going to be chatting about a best practice of child feeding that we both use and that a lot of parents just don't know about. So stay tuned because at the end of the show, I'm going to be sharing a free resource that I created about this not-so-secret, secret best practice of feeding kids, and I'll let you know how to get a copy. Okay, my guest today is Amber Thomas. Amber is a registered dietitian who specializes in oncology nutrition and intuitive eating. Amber provides private and group coaching to men and women who have faced a cancer diagnosis and want help staying nourished during cancer treatment, examining deep-held beliefs about food and cancer, and empowering their survivorship journey through food. When not working, Amber is likely hanging out with her husband and two young sons, ages four and six, in Colorado where they live. The boys love to build roads and dams in the backyard dirt, help pull weeds in the summer garden, and enjoy Halloween candy year-round. I love that because my kids also enjoy Halloween candy year round, and that ties into exactly what we're going to be chatting about today. Just a quick note to remind you that the content you'll hear on the podcast is for informational purposes only and not a substitute for medical advice. As well, the views I express are my personal opinions only and do not represent the views of my clients or employers. Also, unfortunately, about halfway through the interview, you'll hear a humming noise on my side of the tape because my lawn care guy showed up as I was recording. But it's still a great chat, and I don't think the noise takes away from the important message. Okay, let's hear the interview. Hey, Amber, welcome to The Messy Intersection. Hi, Diana. Thank you so much for having me here today. I'm really excited. I'm really excited for this conversation. So before we start, I just want to give you a chance to tell us, you know, who you are and a little bit about your background and what you do. Sure. So I am actually a registered dietitian as well, but my focus is on adult oncology. So I have been working with cancer patients for the past 15 years or so. And I work with people instead of giving people diets because there is no perfect anti-cancer diet out there. I help people dispel the myths that are out there as far as diets go and just kind of break down a lot of the barriers to eating the variety and eating in a way that brings satisfaction both to the body and the mind. So that's what I do professionally. But personally, I'm a mom of two young boys. My oldest is five and a half and my youngest is four. And it's a crazy busy house. Wouldn't expect it any other way with two little guys. Absolutely. I'm right there with you in terms of around the same ages. So I invited you to the show today because you were sharing a story with a group of our peers about an experience you recently had at your son's pediatrician visit. So Amber, what happened when you were at the pediatrician? (laughs) Oh, let me tell you. So it was my youngest son's visit and so it was his four-year-old appointment and everything was fine. Like the conversation was good. And this was the conversation with the, the physician, so the doctor. And we're about halfway through the visit, going kind of through, you know, checking the eyes, checking the nose, all that kind of stuff. And the conversation starts out like, okay, what kind of foods do you eat? I'm like, I'll, I'll let my son take this conversation over. He can surely tell the doctor what he likes and what he eats and gets for his meals. So he starts out with, Foods that we kind of consider, you know, good foods. Like, oh, we have oatmeal and yogurt and cheese and Lucky Charms. And as soon as my son said Lucky Charms, 
the doctor, almost like he pounced, like immediately jumped into the conversation and started, kid you not, shaming my son and I about eating Lucky Charms. I can't even begin to tell you the kind of shame that I felt in that moment. It was like I felt myself closing in on myself almost and getting like the red face, the red ears, like, oh, yeah, my son, he's sitting next to me. He kind of looks confused and he also feels like, oh, no, what did I say? What did I do? And, you know, once I saw him and his reaction, I could see that he was doing the same thing I did. I snapped out of it. <laughs> like, oh, wait a minute. Who are you to shame my son about what I choose to feed this child? So I had to take a few deep and calming breaths because the doctor then, oh, well, the conversation happened to turn into, again, He's not asking us, oh, well, tell me more about that. You know, do you have them every meal? Do you have them once a month? Is this something you had at a birthday party? There was no conversation around the food. It was just, oh, you know, that food has a lot of sugar in it. And you know what sugar does to your body? It makes blah, blah, blah organs work harder and it puts stress on your body. Like, so he's almost talking to my son. And he's almost talking to me. It, it was so weird the way the conversation unfolded that it's like, hold on. So who, who exactly are you shaming here? Are you pointing this message at my son, but then directing it to me because you're using words like spleen and pancreas and like, what? <laughs> One, and he doesn't know I'm a dietitian, this, this physician. So you're going to throw that out to just in general what kind of helpful information is that and i noticed my son just like oh well i well you know just just a little bit like okay now now you've done it <laughs> so after a couple of breaths he started asking well what about simple sugars and then i got mad as if your son knows what a simple sugar is, or was that que question directed at you? I think it was directed to me. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, the yeah. conversation was weirdly played out. So I remembered <laughs> that I'm his mom, and that I'm a dietitian, and that I know what's best for him. And I told this doctor that we, as a family, as his mom and his dad, we choose the foods that we have in the house. And we choose the foods that we serve at each meal and each snack. And that both of my children have the option to eat as much or as little or none of the foods presented. We eat a variety of foods. End of story. And that's what you said directly to the doctor? That's what I said to the doctor. Great. And we moved on. Yeah, okay. <laughs> the, the, the visit the, continued after that. It might have been a little the awkward. The visit continued. It was, I'm on defensive now. I'm yeah. watching out for other things. And I'm thinking, what am I going to have to tell my son now? Yeah. Because this doctor has all of a sudden questioned or put labels on the foods that I allow in the house. And we don't label foods in the house. There are no good or there are no bad. There are, this is what's part of this meal. What would you like? How much would you like? Would you like more? Okay, you're done. Fantastic. Like, there is none of that. And, you know, I can, I can tell you the very moment that both my husband and I decided that this was the type of path we were going to take. Please do. So my old, yeah, my <laughs> oldest son, he was probably 18 months old. We're sitting at the dinner table. And this was at a time when I, I just should have all foods available to him on his tray. But here's the rule. He has to try at least one of everything on his tray. Mm -hmm. Yep. So we did that. Most of the time it went okay. But on this particular evening, he did not want to try his kernel of corn. <laughs> That's it. He did not want to. Nope. Not going to do it. Not going to even try it. There's a lot of coaxing, probably some bribery. 
who knows what. I mean, like, those kind of details I don't exactly remember. I do remember that he sat at the table for an hour and a half. Wow. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that I just kind of gave in. I don't remember how it turned out. I just remember how I felt during this situation. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying, no, that's not ever going to happen again. Mm -hmm. So then I started doing some research. What what other options are there? That's the way I was taught. I mean, that's why I was raised, right? In fact, I remember probably I was seven or eight sitting at the lunch table. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. We had a we lived kind of out in the country, so we had this lovely, glorious sled hill. And it had just snowed the night before, so it was just, like, perfect. But I had to eat all of my serving of yellow wax beans out of a can. <laughs> and I think I probably also sat there for an hour and a half. And I was mad. Yeah. And I yeah. think I probably hid my food. I don't remember eating yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so here I'm thinking back to some of those situations. Like, what? why am I going to do that to my kids? No, there's, there's got to be a better way. Mm-hmm. There's got to be a way where I can give my kid the autonomy to choose over the foods that I provide them. And so then I found the Ellen Satter Institute Division of Responsibility Eating Model. Mm-hmm. Like, yep, that makes sense. That's what we're doing. Here we go. So that's where we stand right now. Yeah, absolutely. And so for anyone listening, we're going to talk about Ellen Satter's Division of Responsibility a lot here on The Messy Intersection. And as someone working in pediatric nutrition, it's fundamental to the counseling that I do with parents. But since, Amber, you were the one doing the research, why don't you remind us of what the principle is? Well, the takeout message for me is that I get to decide the types of foods that I have on the table at meals, at snacks. I set the meal times and my children get to decide what I select for them, how much they want to eat, if they want to eat it at all. And that's it. So they can have, you know, as much toast at the meal or they can have as much you know apple slices at the meal and in fact this has helped my husband so much my husband and i both so much because we are not catering meals to our kids we do a lot of meals where it's kind of like build your own sort of meals so you know tacos and things that hey we love this food i'm going to put this in mind well i don't like that so i'm going to leave it out and, you know, if we want to have something that we're not sure the boys are going to readily, readily accept, then we have other choices at the table that we know are, you know, solid go-tos. So everyone has something that they like and enjoy and that they will eat while we're eating meals. Yeah. Here's a question for you, though. On the surface of the division of responsibility, parent chooses what and when and where, child chooses whether and how much. The parent doesn't have to choose Lucky Charms. The parent, in theory, can always be choosing these quote-unquote healthy foods and not bringing a food like Lucky Charms into her home. Amber, why do you serve your son Lucky Charms? Great question. I want to normalize off-limit foods. I don't want there to be off-limit foods in my house. There are food, all is food. All food is nourishing. This food may be more nourishing to our taste buds, and this food may be more nourishing to our bodies, but we have the variety there. So when I say my my kids have the option to have Lucky Charms, absolutely they do. They also have and will eat alongside their Lucky Charms things like granola and yogurt and kefir and just other random foods that I enjoy and I kind of build as part of a a balance at the meals and they get to choose what they want. Some days they might choose more Lucky Charms than others. Some days they may not choose any Lucky Charms and they're all for the, my, my son loves bran flakes. So he'll eat bran flakes with some fruit. I'm not asking them to choose these foods. They just have the option to choose what sounds good to them. So I make it a habit to have these kind of fun foods available. You know, snack times, they're not always, you know, cheese and crackers or peanut butter and apples. We have M&Ms. We have ice cream drummies. Like, that's part of the lineup. Absolutely. Like, those are are a big hit right now. And 
the more I serve those kind of things, the more I notice they just habituate. They're not so special and they get tired of them. Yeah. And so as it happens, I use a very similar approach. You you and I have never chatted about our approaches to feeding our kids in the past, but everything you just said is more or less what I do with my own kids. I think it's kind of funny. I've never personally bought Lucky Charms, but I have Fruity Pebbles and Fruit Loops Mm -hmm. and Cocoa Pebbles all in my house. Exactly. (laughs) Yep. We have Fruit Loops as well. And those have gone out of fashion. Like those haven't been touched. Yeah, exactly. Like Lucky Charms are the cereals they want right now. And then, you know, the other foods because they're like, ah, I like the way this one feels in my body, yeah. or I like, I like how this one keeps me fuller longer, and I feel like they definitely have an idea of how that works. Which is great, especially at their young age, that you're able to teach them this. And so I'm really curious, you told me a little bit about your son's reaction during the visit, but what kind of conversation did you guys have afterwards? You know, I was waiting for him to bring it up. Oh, really? Because he's a pretty intuitive kid. Mm-hmm. Like, he'll bring up random parts of conversations days later, you know, sometimes even weeks later. So I waited for him to have that conversation with me. And luckily he didn't bring it up. And we've had Lucky Charms since. Yeah. And I fully expected that to be part of the conversation where I could see like, oh, well, maybe we shouldn't have too much. And that hasn't come up yet. I... In fact, I haven't brought it up. I've just continued to reiterate, these are your choices. What would you like? So if he would have, now I think my older son would have, because he's pretty sensitive to those sort of messages. Mm -hmm. And I know that we would have that kind of conversation where we have balance and we have the patterns of how we eat. All these foods are okay. All of them are okay. You know, some days we have more of certain foods than other days. That's all okay. It's a pattern. It's a way that we eat over time that helps, you know, build some of those health benefits we're looking for. But you having Lucky Charms on Monday morning, cereal morning, is not a big deal. That is part of a balanced eating pattern. Do you think you would have said anything about why the doctor might have a different perspective? Probably. To my older son, for sure. Like, he knows that we do things a little bit differently. We've Mm -hmm. had these conversations about school as well. So his kindergarten, lunchtime is run by, like, monitored by moms. And I love them, and I think all of them mean well. And they have their own stories about food and how children are supposed to eat. And he's come home a couple of times, like... I had to eat all my lunch. I didn't want it all. Mm. Okay, you know that you can say no. And he didn't, you know, he doesn't want to do that. And I get it. He doesn't want to challenge the authority. So right. I did. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, well, what would you like me to do? Should I speak to them or should I just put a note in your lunch bag? Mm-hmm. Oh, a note would be fine. Yeah. So next time it happened, he just handed the note to the person. And I didn't hear anything more about him eating his dessert first. Or him leaving some food because he gets to decide that. Yeah, and I've heard that strategy before. And my oldest isn't in school like that yet. But hopefully, if it comes to that, mm-hmm. <laughs> I've heard about you can uh, you can sort of laminate a note onto the lunchbox, mm-hmm. you know. But I, I had a thought when you were saying that your younger son didn't actually say anything about the visit. And, you know, some, sometimes my clients will come to me saying, you know, just a single off-the-wall comment at a doctor's visit, sent them down a path of a whole, it could be something about their weight, something about what they're eating. And just that it was when the doctor said this, then I started mm-hmm. to think that. I I don't know anything about your son, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. you know, and partially it's due to his young age and not being totally perceptive of everything that's going on here. But I also wonder if you've cultivated such an environment of resilience for him where he knows that, you know, the Lucky Charms are just one of many foods that you eat. And maybe there have been other times where you've had conversations about, you know, what is sugar and, you know, um, I'm speculating Mm -hmm. all of this. I'm wondering if he's internalized that to the degree where a one-off comment by the doctor wasn't too big of a deal with him. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Like this kid, he would definitely bring it up. He would Uh say something the next time that we had something. So, And I was waiting for that Mm -hmm. moment to remind him, remember, these are parts of the foods that we eat and it's fine that we include these foods. 
So I'm hoping because, yeah, that's a very typical conversation when we eat. Like, all these foods are fine. Anything、mm-hmm. that we have on this table is for you to eat and enjoy. You know, I think that hopefully, hopefully helps. But we'll see. You know, yeah, we'll he, see. If he brings this up in conversation at some other point, then there will be a little bit more of it. Well, the doctor, you know, has different ways of eating than we do. And this is what makes sense. And we want you to provide nutrients for your body and foods that you like. And that all works out with what we do. Yeah. So I haven't had a similar experience at my child's doctor visit, but I, she has gotten some messages from her, her pre K about, you know, what is healthy, what is not healthy that I. <laughs> I was a little frustrated with and did have a conversation with a teacher about. But what I ended up sharing with my kid at that time was that she, she brought home a worksheet and it had pizza in the unhealthy column and watermelon in the healthy column. And I was like, that's funny. We eat pizza for dinner and I find out, I find that it's really filling to me and it makes me feel good and it's really tasty. So, you know what I think? I think all the foods are healthy and some of them are healthy because they, they make our bodies go and some of them are healthy because they make us so happy when we eat them. <laughs> and she seems to be doing well with that. But it is tough because there comes a point when our kids go off to school and to doctor's visits and wherever else where we are no longer totally in control of this messaging. And,、yes. you know, I wanted to ask your perspective. What can happen when, in, in another situation, let's say that the parent either wasn't there or wasn't confident to, to speak up and end the conversation, or maybe didn't even know that he or she should end the conversation? What can happen when kids internalize these messages about, you know, that food is unhealthy or that food is bad or that food has too much sugar and sugar is bad? You know, I know that you're a person、mm-hmm. who is an intuitive eating practitioner, and this is、mm-hmm. probably something that you talk about with adults to a degree as well. Oh, yeah. so, <laughs> oh, absolutely. What's your experience? That when we label the foods as good and bad, then especially kids who are such black and white thinkers take that onto themselves. I、yeah. like this food. This food is bad. Therefore, I am bad.、Yeah. Or this food is good. I'm good. But I like the bad foods. So I need to stay good. So I need to avoid the bad. And it's just a constant, yeah, battle almost, you know, with these kids. Like, I identify as these labels because I enjoy this thing. So, here, yeah, my, my MMs are bad. They're unhealthy. My Lucky Charms are bad. Yeah. Well, I like them, so I must be bad. And that message is so incredibly harmful. You know, those kind of labels, moral labels on ourselves and on our food, they have no place. And it sets kids up for tuning out from their body, not listening to themselves, and tuning into these messages that, you know, you can't be trusted because you're a bad person. You like this food. So let's figure out how to not eat this food anymore. Right. And then now it's off limits, and there、mm-hmm. probably comes a time when they just want it so much that、mm-hmm. they, you know, have, I don't know, have a binge on it and,、mm-hmm. you know, then feel, feel guilty. And as you're saying, moral value has no place in food, even, even if a child does overeat a quote unquote, you know, sugary. I don't want to say bad food, a sugary food,、uh-huh. but one of these foods、exactly. that's been labeled as bad. You know, even that is okay. If, if a kid goes to a birthday party and there's a ton、mm-hmm. of delicious snacks there,、mm-hmm. you know, it's, the, it's not a bad thing for them to come、mm-hmm. home with a tum- tummy ache. It's just a learning、nope. experience. Exactly. Yep, we've had that conversation before. Like, this is just information for us. So, does it make sense? Like, do you like the way you feel right now? Okay, well, I get that. Like, I've had that too. That doesn't feel very good. You know what might help next time? Well, why don't we try, you know, blah, 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 and see if you feel better? I mean, that's something I do all the time with the people I work with in my professional world is, you know, sugar is bad. Sugar is bad for cancer. I can't eat sugar at all. And then what does it make you want to do? Well, <laughs> eat all the sugar. So we take off, and it's a reworking, trying to take those labels off of sugar and eat them in a way that we can enjoy it. I mean, the same thing. It starts when we're young, though. You know, so if we can 
if we can build that resilience in our kids, like, no, <laughs> I'm fine. This is fine. So I'm, I'm worried, though, about the, the other parents in similar situations mm. who don't do the kind of work you do day in and day out and, and you know, are perhaps worried about their, their own waistlines or their own quote-unquote sugar addictions. And either they, they don't keep Lucky Charms in the house and they, mm -hmm. it's completely off limits for their kids, or maybe they're in a similar situation to yours and they are feeding it to their kids and thinking that it's okay in moderation and suddenly mm -hmm. an authority figure comes in and is laying down the law that this is not okay even in moderation essentially is what it mm -hmm. sounds like the conversation you were having was you know when a parent doesn't have either the the knowledge or the confidence to stop the doctor in the way that you did you know what can that do to the feeding environment in the home i think it can change it so dramatically like starting to question, you know, even, even with the knowledge that I have and the work that I do, it still took me a little bit of time to like snap out of that questioning. Like, is it okay? Yeah, no, it's okay. It, but is it okay? Yes, it's okay. Like there was that part of me even who's, you know, thinking, well, huh, are they having too much? Should I be limiting? And then it comes back to what are my food beliefs? What do I believe to be true as far as setting kids up to be competent eaters? And that is to allow all foods. Sure, I get to choose how often I serve that. But, you know, they get to choose how much. You know, if I, sometimes we do, like, here's some M&Ms as part of your lunch meal. They don't get served at the end. They get served right alongside everything else. One son loves to eat them right at the first. The other son, well, he likes to wait until the very end. That's just their, their call. That's their preference. But, you know, it's, it's tough to think about. And I know from my own experience, with this experience, I now have a plan. <laughs> and I know that I need to have a system in place and tools that I can share with my providers and say, this is how things operate in our house. These are the ways that we feed our children. And honestly, let's not have that kind of conversation in front of my kids. If we have questions, I would love to talk with you. Maybe let's step outside the door. Yeah, definitely. And that's something that I recommend to my clients is that feeding conversations really should not ever happen in front of the child. You mm -hmm. know, if, if someone comes to me for, you know, nutrition counseling for their, you know, elementary age child, I might say, hi, nice to meet you. Hey, you want to go play a video game over here? <laughs> you know, because it, it really goes back to the division of responsibility in that it is the parent's responsibility for the, the what and the where and the when. And, you know, so if I'm talking to a parent about different foods to include or strategies to cope with something that the child is doing around food, I don't want the child hearing any of that because it's, no. it's not their responsibility. And I don't want nope. them internalizing any of that, which is why it's ex extra unfortunate that this conversation happened right in front of your son. And, and mm -hmm. I'm sure he knows that you know, doctors are important and we should mm -hmm. listen to our doctors. And, you know, I know families are also having conversations about, you know, the, the doctor is a trustworthy person in terms of when the doctor performs the exam. You want mm -hmm. to tell your kid, you know, that this is okay. Mommy's right here. And so, you know, it, it seems like it's really breaking the trust in, in that sense of, you know, mommy says one thing's okay and the doctor says mm -hmm. it's not, you know, and, and oh, I, yes. I, li I like it and the doctor says it's not okay, you know, so mm -hmm. that just mm -hmm. makes it extra unfortunate. But I, I like what you were saying about, you know, having, having tools and, you know, basically even before the visit starts, or maybe if you mm -hmm. were starting with a new pediatric practice or a new doctor, or sort of laying down the law beforehand. But what seems mm -hmm. so strange to me, you know, I was saying I, I use a very similar approach to you in feeding my kids and working in pediatrics. I do this day in and day out. I'm very confident that this is the right approach. So it's not like some weird thing that we're doing in our house. I don't no, have to... it is research. There, <laughs> yeah. is, there is science backing this approach. So it's, it's just it's unfortunate and it's strange that we should have to go into our visits with our medical practitioners saying, hey, here's something you may not know that we do, but I just want you to know that we do this. <laughs> Exactly. You know, but I do think it's it's still very important in order to pr protect our kids from those conversations. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So do you have any language that you might suggest to a parent who might be considering doing this? I have thought about this because my oldest son, who is a much more sensitive child, who is also a more selective eater, and I can definitely see him internalizing a lot of messages from other people. And my plan is to, one, either see we have the electronic medical record systems where I might be able to upload some information for them. So my plan is to include a copy of the kind of like the feeding guidelines, the division of responsibility, the competent eating thing that we do. Just kind of like a, hey, so you know, we're not going to blindside each other here. This is what we do. My plan then during the conversation is to take the nutrition and food part. I want to own that because I am the person who is navigating that with my child. So my plan is to just tell the doctor, you know, before we start talking about what he eats, what he likes, all these kind of things, I want to tell you a little bit about what we do. And so it will be, you know, here we provide this, this, this. You know, we get the variety of foods, all these things, just the, the DOR, right? And if you'd like to have conversations further about this, I would love that. But I'd also like to do that just you and me. So, you know, if you want to just take a couple minutes at the end, I would love to chat. But otherwise, just know that here are my questions or, you know, you know it's going fine. I do not have any concerns about his, his eating. Yeah. And leave it at that. So. I imagine that you're confident doing that because you're a dietitian, and even if you weren't a dietitian, you're someone who has researched Ellen Satter's division of responsibility and some of the information that, that goes along with her approach. Mm -hmm. But a lot of parents are looking to their pediatricians for guidance on feeding their kids, aren't they? <laughs> so I, I imagine that a, a lot of parents aren't taking that leap, and, and to a degree, I don't mm -hmm. think that they should have to because mm -hmm. they're, they, they've got their own professions or whatever it is that they do, and I I mean, I would love to see every parent, whether or not they have a medical issue with their child, I would love to see them for nutrition counseling, but that's not mm -hmm. going to happen. So, you know, the pediatrician is someone that all families are seeing and mm -hmm. they're looking to them for guidance on whether it's the kid's selective eating or, you know, how often they should have sugary foods in the house. So, you know, I, I do think that what you just shared is a great approach and I hope to link to some of those same resources in the show notes for other parents who, who want to use them. I don't know if I'm just lamenting that it's unfortunate that you have to do that or if I want to provide some resources to parents who are feeling a little lost on all of this because they are looking towards the pediatrician for these, these types of guidelines. No, absolutely. I mean, that makes such sense because as a nutrition health professional, yeah, I've been doing this for 17 years now, you know, speaking to doctors, speaking to, you know, other healthcare professionals is not any different than they're speaking to you. However, it's, yeah, what do you do when you just don't know how to navigate those waters? Perhaps you know that you don't want the shaming messages, that you know how they make you feel, and you know that that has no place in our eating culture. What kind of things can you do? Well, what makes the most sense? I mean, coming from that angle, I would look at it like, you know, I am not really sure how to feed my child, but I also don't want him to feel bad about what he's eating. I know that that makes him feel bad, and sometimes it changes his behaviors when, you know, we restrict things and then he wants more and more and more. You know, what can we do? You know, maybe are there some general guidelines, just some, you know, is there any kind of health at every size education. Oh my goodness. If I could find that in a pediatrician's office, we'd be just like set. But yeah, and unfortunately, a lot of the medical community is not on board yet, hopefully. But, you know, from my experience, and maybe I'm lucky, I've not had food conversations with other physicians go this wrong. <laughs> Everyone else has been like, oh yeah, okay. Okay, great. Okay, what else? What else? What else? So it's, you know, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll keep sharing. This has been the first one's like, whoa, no, no, don't do that. 
So as far as what do you ask, like, what do you want? (laughs) You know, what do you want out of the experience? What, how do you want you, you and your kids to feel? Yeah. And so, you know, we've been talking so far just about conversations relating to feeding, but what I've heard from, from clients and even adults who, who had negative experiences regarding their weight is, you know, mm. when a pediatrician makes a comment about a child who is in a large body, makes a comment about their weight, maybe even pushes it into what they're eating, assuming that they're eating lots of junk food or too much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what can a parent do in that situation? My my first line of advice would be that no conversation about this child's weight is happening in front of this child. Mm-hmm, exactly. <laughs> but even then, the parents need you know resources and the ability to advocate for themselves and their families mm-hmm. that you know my child is in the size body that he or she is meant to be in. You know, they, they might come to me to talk about, you know, switching up the dietary pattern a little bit and how do we still have his favorite foods in the house without, you know, making them off limits. But I do, I really do worry about families in this situation with a doctor who is not informed and the parent is not informed and it just right. can perpetuate, you know, these putting foods off limits, making weight such a big issue in the home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's an issue. I mean, so my my children are both small for their age, you know, and I have been privileged. So I, I think I have escaped a lot of the stigma because of that. Yeah, so I, I see that. But I also have a, an older sister who I love and adore who lives in a larger body. And she has since the get-go. Like, that's the way she is, you know, as far as, like, she follows my my dad's side of the family. I look like my mom's side. And at doctor's visits with, you know, her growing up, there was a lot of talk about weight and what to do. I mean, I think she was put on Weight Watchers at 9 or 10, you know, with with adults and, you know, talking about these big strong issues in that at that age i i can't even imagine so like that's that is so harmful it is damaging to children it's damaging to adults but it's it is incredibly damaging to kids like not understanding i guess that the the body will do what it does you know your body is genetically predisposed to be a certain shape certain size you know my sister and i we ate pretty much the same and we did not look the same i'm not defending your doctor but i do want to play devil's advocate for a second where Mm -hmm. doctors pediatricians in particular are probably getting messages from their professional organizations and the media about the quote-unquote childhood obesity epidemic Mm -hmm. And they're thinking, you know, this this is awful. I got to do something about it. Kids are eating way too much sugar. I got to put my foot down when it comes to sugar. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that was your doctor's motivation mm-hmm. for starting such a conversation. Really makes me worry about the types of conversation he's having with children in larger bodies than your son. Yes. But <laughs> put a pin in that for a second. Like I said, I'm not defending your doctor, but he, he probably thinks that he's doing the right thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, what's wrong with that approach? (laughs) (laughs) Not knowing better. Yeah, I don't know. I think, and I got to be honest, like, doing the work that I do, I was potentially not as traditionally taught as that, as far as, like, weight is, you know, in cancer care, weight is supposedly a cause of certain cancers and one it's not we're not going to go there because this is not about oncology but it's the same sort of thing like oh this is what we're taught this is what all of my reputable very science-backed information says so i'm just going to take it at face value until i started looking a little bit deeper and digging into the actual research i wouldn't have known better anyway i i would have been the same it's just once those blinders were taken off and I started digging deeper and saying, oh, hold on there. This, this doesn't actually line up. 
we can't say that this one thing causes this when, you know, it's just a link or something like that, you know, in the work that I do. But especially with, you know, childhood obesity, quote unquote, it's how can we address that when we know the effects of dieting? You know, we know, well, what's the option? Are we supposed to place all these young children on diets? Has that worked for the older population? I mean, I can't remember the statistic, but, you know, the chances of being put on a diet and then developing an eating disorder is fairly significant. So, you know, it's not like which one's better. We don't want, you know, the stigmatization, you know, the, the concerns about, you know, the obesity problem. What do we do with that? You know, where do we go with that? How can we be better informed and take all information into play? Yeah, I'm sure this position, he's just regurgitating a lot of what he was taught. Yeah, I did the same thing. Right, right. <laughs> well, so my hope is that in your case, and maybe if any parents listening to this have had similar situations, or maybe they want to be preemptive and have a, a conversation with their doctor before any of this happens, my hope is that in presenting, you know, pediatricians with a different approach, you know, the approach that you and I use, maybe some of the parents listening are using, presenting doctors with information from the Ellen Satter Institute about the best practices of child feeding, you know, I hope that, you know, that could, you know, be a snowball effect in a doctor's mind who was previously using this approach, just like you're saying, you used to use a different approach mm -hmm. in cancer therapy until you, you know, looked into it a little bit more, realized the harm you might have been doing. Mm -hmm. And exactly. so that, that would be my hope. But, you know, it's unfortunate that now the action is placed onto the parents' shoulders as if they're not, yes. <laughs> as if they're not handling enough that you need to go advocate for yourself and your family and all the future families that this doctor might see <laughs> by, you know, having a difficult conversation. Exactly. And, and, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I was telling you before that if this were in, happened in my family, I'd be like, listen, I'm a pediatric registered dietitian. I know what I'm talking about here. Mm -hmm. But in a lot of situations, a parent who's not a medical practitioner, mm -hmm. you know, a, a doctor's not going to want to hear it from them. They're going to say, no. excuse me, I'm the doctor here, you know. Right. <laughs> what do you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So <laughs> any advice to parents in that situation? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Find another pediatrician. Exactly. That was exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> like that's I'm not going back to this particular pediatrician. Yeah. I feel like that bridge has been crossed and we're going to start again with someone who maybe, you know, can align with us a little mm -hmm. bit. You know, unfortunately, as I'm reading people's bios, that information is not on there. Hi, my food beliefs are this, this, <laughs> yeah. this. That make it super easy. Yeah. Yeah. But, so what's yeah. your plan? Just a trial and error? Or? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Quite honestly, I have thought about calling the practice, but it seems like like anytime I mention Ellen Satter, I just kind of get the, the deer in the headlights like, mm -hmm. what? Look. Mm -hmm. So I think, and this may be a little stereotyping. And I'll, mm -hmm. I'll label it that for me. But the people that I've noticed, physician-wise, who list on their profiles are kind of aligned with integrative medicine and a holistic approach tend to demonize sugar. Mm. Now, that's just my take because I've seen that a couple of times now. Yeah. That doesn't mean that that's everyone. So right. take, that at, take that to heart that that doesn't mean, you know, one equals the other. But in my personal experience anecdotal information two out of two <laughs> so yes i feel like it's going to be a conversation up front and at least to honor like this is the way it goes like if i have specific questions i will ask you if i feel like something isn't quite there that needs to like have some tweaking Let's talk about that. But otherwise, this is the way that we operate. Is my child growing on their chart? Is everything aligning correctly? You know, let's look at those, some of those factors, too, as opposed to just, you know, targeting, nitpicking little pieces mm -hmm. of how we eat as, and labeling it in a certain way. Let's just let's look at the overall picture. Let's just look at that instead. And see, you know, if maybe that provides everyone a little bit more valuable information. 
Right, right. Do you think you'll be upfront with your practice about why you don't want to see the doctor you had this encounter with? I'm honestly hoping I receive a survey. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because I have from that practice before. And if I do, yes, I will. Yeah. Absolutely will, because I feel like it's inappropriate. There should have been more of a conversation. Like Mm -hmm. if, if there was more information gathered about how we practice, Mm -hmm. I would have felt like, Hey, this, this physician wants to know more about our patterns, not just like, Oh, nope. That food is going to do X, Y, Z to your poor body. No, it's not Mm -hmm. like, come on now. Yeah. So yes, I, I've thought about it, but it also feels like I want to kind of let it go a little bit, you know, move on as moms, as parents, we have a lot to deal with, especially just, you know, right now, I mean, you know, at the time of this recording, we're in the midst of COVID. Yeah. So I'm not exactly looking to make time to, you know, write a strongly worded letter. (laughs) I just want to advocate for my family by not seeing that particular practitioner yeah yeah and that's absolutely within your (laughs) rights and i I would probably do the same thing i'm i'm just thinking about uh, any situation i've been in so like i had a doctor question my decision to do baby led weaning once and i remember my 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 blood pressure shooting up and you know my heart Mm -hmm. beating faster and just kind of just kind of being Mm -hmm. like you know, in my head, I'm thinking, mm-hmm. I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. And I'm going to nod mm-hmm. and say, OK, totally. Yeah, purees, whatever. <laughs> you know, and I don't I don't want people to have those kinds of relationships with their <sighs> primary care doctors for yeah. their children, because it should be a really great relationship. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to a degree, you know, I, I could have just hashed it out. Listen, I'm a baby led weaning educator. I've looked at the research. It's all, I could have done that. Yeah, you could have. And I just didn't, I didn't have the mental space for it. Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah, But, you know, but like I was saying earlier, you know, maybe it's just one patient or maybe a handful of patients come to this doctor or whichever doctor is, you know, spewing misinformation. (laughs) And, (laughs) And maybe that those patient experiences might make them think differently. And I don't want to be singling out Mm -hmm. doctors here. If someone were coming to me over and over and saying, I mean, I try to do everything evidence-based, but if they were saying, you know, I think what you're doing could actually be harmful. I want to say Mm -hmm. that as a medical practitioner, I would at least give it a second thought, (laughs) Right. you know, but you know. I'm not singling out doctors here, but I mean, you message about messages about sugar can come from dentists too, right? Oh, yes. Yes. I mean, anywhere. MAs, nurses, other dietitians. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Teachers. Yep. Other parents, you know, your kid goes over for a play date. Not Mm -hmm. these days, but. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Nope. None of that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's basically, it's everywhere and we have to be on our guard, but I also think that what we were touching on about your son not actually bringing it up, you know, maybe we are able to cultivate a resilience in our kids where they are just confident that, you know, your parents are going to feed us what is, you know, tasty and nourishing for us and everybody else can just mm-hmm. roll off mm-hmm. us like drops of water. I'm, I'm not saying every mm-hmm. kid is like that, but <laughs> that's what I hope, <laughs> you know, that's, that's what I, yes. that's the kind of children I want to raise myself and that's what I want to inspire the families that I work with to to be able to do, but it's not easy. It's not no, easy. And no. sometimes their message will get in, but yeah. the more that we can remind them, like listening to your body, your body knows. Yeah. Let's listen in. Let's see what works. And yeah, the the foods that we eat, look at how much variety we have. Like that's awesome. Yeah. Tasty, nourishing, all the things. Like, yeah, we I have a feeling that I'm going to develop some sort of motto Uh some sort of mantra that these kids are going to hear a lot during meal times that they can remind themselves about when they go off to school they go to other people's houses they hear lots of food rules and you know like oh here's my you know my homing message and bring it back to myself. I love that. So if you figure out what it is, let me know. <laughs> um, oh, I would love to I, be I'll the same. <laughs> I would love for everyone to, every family to have one. And maybe it's not always the same, but it's like, mm-hmm, what was yours absolutely. growing up? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What, what worked for you? Yeah, you know, yeah. What were your food beliefs and what, what resonated with you, you know, as a young kid? And then that language can evolve and all sorts of things for sure. 
Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love that. And thank you, Amber, for taking the time to share your story with us today. I think it's a really important story. I'm sure parents listening have had similar experiences, and mm-hmm. I really hope that this resonates with them. And if they haven't, maybe maybe somebody's got a newborn, and obviously doctors aren't talking to newborns about Lucky Charms. I hope this gives them the confidence. I hope. I hope doctors aren't talking to newborns about like, Lucky Charms. <laughs> I hope this gives oh them the confidence, gosh. you know, to, to have those hard conversations or maybe preemptively have some conversations mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. food with their doctors. So thank yes. you so much. Can you tell us a little bit more about where, you, where we can find you? Sure. So, hey, if you have a history of cancer, or you know someone who's going through treatment or even struggling to kind of get grips with eating after Come, come find me. So the best way to find me, Instagram. So my handle is at amber.thomas.rdn. And then you can always visit my website as well for lots of information. That is www.cancernutritionsolutions.com. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Amber. <laughs> Thank you, Diana, for having me. All right. Take care. <laughs> All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to Amber's story. I hope it has inspired you to feel empowered the next time the subject of food or weight comes up at your child's medical visit, or even in your own encounters with your healthcare practitioners. If you have a story of feeling shamed for what you feed your kids, I hope you'll consider sharing it in the Messy Intersection Facebook community. I imagine I might have some Brene Brown fans listening, and Brene often talks about how freeing naming your shame and sharing it with others can be. And of course, empathy is the antidote to shame. And my plan for this group is basically for it to just be dripping with empathy. I'm the moderator and I basically won't tolerate anyone who speaks otherwise. So you're sure to find a supportive environment there and I hope you'll check it out. You'll find the link to that Facebook group in this episode's show notes or text hello to my phone number, 405-407-MESS to have it sent straight to your phone. I also want to share that free resource that I have created for you. In this episode, Amber and I discussed the division of responsibility in child feeding. This principle is the absolute foundation of everything that I do working with families in my private practice, and yet it is not especially widely understood. I think it's really telling that both Amber and I are registered dietitians, and neither one of us learned about this approach in her nutrition training, even though there's a ton of evidence behind it. So I'm going to go out on a limb and figure that there are a good chunk of parents out there listening to this who aren't familiar with it either. So the resource I've created for you, I'm calling it the Division of Responsibility 101, DOR 101, and it's a beautiful PDF resource that you can print out and keep on your fridge. It explains all the basics of how DOR works at different ages and in different situations, and I think it's going to be really helpful to you. So to get that, you can text DOR to 405-407-MESS, or I'll put a link to snag it right in the Facebook group. Thanks again for listening. I'm so glad you're here with me. And until next week, embrace the mess. Mm